Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Yeah. Um All right. Um I have <clears throat> Have yes. Yeah. I like yeah. Playing with cars. He likes playing with cars. All right, it's not actually your podcast, Isa. So thank you for your contribution. And now, if the women could congregate, thank you, kind regards. Thank you. Thank you. Misogyny, babes. All right, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Two Cents. If you haven't listened to one of our episodes before, it works like this. We each bring two overrated and two underrated to debate and unpack and leave for our listeners to do the same. Even the most mundane of topics can give way to often useful and laid perspectives. So let's get started. Who wants to go first? So my overrated, and I feel like I've, I feel like I've spoken about this early in lockdown work from home podcast, but I kind of wanted to elaborate on it. And I'm not sure how much with my chest I want to say this, but for this moment of my life, this is how I feel. Um, overrated is being a morning person. And I feel like lockdown has helped me come to terms with the fact that me not being a morning person is not tied to how ambitious I am. And I say this because you see these articles of like, you know, this is the morning routine of this person. And, you know, it's almost as if like you're not so successful unless you've had your morning routine well documented on the internet somewhere. And, you know, there's like podcasts, articles, books, there's like a whole movement around like the 5am club about like waking up early and being successful and things like that. And my disclaimer to this is I do see value in being a morning person. And I do think there is spiritual value I do think it's something that's regarded in our deen given that fajr is at the time that it is um however I think it is more of a struggle for some people than others um and I think that struggle is often labeled with laziness or lack of ambition or lack of like willingness like I know for me growing up I was always characterized as lazy and I definitely took that into my adult life um and now in lockdown i and i spoke about this before in the podcast where i didn't realize how much of an impact the day to knowing that the the outside world is rushing and everyone's on the train at 6 a.m impacted me like every morning i'd wake up feeling like i'm already behind in my day and like that's like the worst way to start your day you know and I, I've, I've actually written a monologue on it, which I'll save for the newsletter. Um, but I'll, is it now? Come in with a monologue, yeah. So um, I, I'll read it to you guys, but it might not make the podcast. 
So I have a confession. Bar the catastrophe that coronavirus has created amongst families in the world, the gaslighting of the UK government and the lack of accountability for Bojo's failings and the reason why lockdown exists, I love being in lockdown. I love waking up every day knowing I will start and end the day in my own home. I love waking up and knowing I don't need to run for a train, spend extortionate amounts of money on my lunch and then feel guilty for not having my shit together enough to bring in a packed lunch. I love not giving TFL my money and I love not having to spend money just in the name of seeing friends over dinner. I didn't realize how much I internalized the pace of the world on a usual non-lockdown day. Every day waking up and already feeling like I was behind for not starting my day at 6 a.m. For years, I chased this morning version of myself, questioned if I was lazy, questioned if it was a barrier for me to achieve my goals. I find myself enamored by morning people, asking them the intricacies of what time they go to sleep, if they'd always been this way, if they liked it, what they have for breakfast, did they exercise then too? What about on weekends? I admired those that said, my eyes just open at 6 a.m. and I can't go back to sleep. I tried to track my sleep cycles, sleep trains, schedule meetings early so I had something to get up to, set five alarms, ask several family and friends to call me to wake me up, thank you, but to no avail. To give you context, my family once thought I was missing and nearly called the police until my flatmate knocked on my room door after rushing home to be notified that I was missing, only to find me sleeping. It was 9pm, I had slept very late the day before. And I don't think I'm crazy in my search for what will make me become a morning person. I mean, one of our five daily prayers as Muslims is at the crack of dawn. So there must be, be a significance. And I believe in the blessing that comes in your day as a result. On top of this, there are whole books, podcasts, and endless articles about morning routines and being a part of the 5am club. Have you even made it if your morning routine hasn't been well documented somewhere on the internet? Magazine columns interviewing women whose days start with yoga, a gratitude list, a smoothie, reading half a book and clearing their inbox, all while, all while I'm in bed relishing every moment of sleep before I eventually wake up after snoozing about three times. As a founder who considers myself ambitious and having achieved a fair amount, alhamdulillah, I feel my sleeping pattern is seen at odds with what I am capable of. <clears throat> I stopped taking meetings at 9am because I would spend my night worrying about waking up in time. I like to get to, new, to meetings in a new place 20 minutes early. Did you read that and think that I'm lazy or that there is something wrong with me? And that's as far as I got. Excellent excellent very nice and he's i'm just I, I don't know if this like when life yeah i was gonna starts, say like what's it gonna go what's it what do you think it would look yeah like? I, do, I don't know if i'll then feel compelled again to be like crap you know i've, I've got to be the morning person blah 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 but, so do you counter your mornings with like really late evenings then no because you know what it is with regards to hours of productivity to get into the office at 10 o'clock yeah, versus to come downstairs and start your work at 10 o'clock mm. it requires two different times of waking up yeah. you know so actually my productivity isn't changing in terms of hours worked because I'm not having to factor in, you know, waking up, getting ready, getting on the train, train delays, blah, 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 right? So that's why for me, I've found lockdown actually better for my productivity in the bar like the weeks where the world is doing a madness. Mm -hmm. um, because it, you know, you're, you've just got so much more space. You've got so much more headspace for me personally. And, you know, I know 
between nine and 10, I can do some exercise. I can read a book. I can do this. I can do that. And it doesn't impede my ability to get to work at 10 because work is in my, at my desk at home. Mm-hmm. So I'd just like to respond to your take on the whole morning thing. I like that you put in the nuance about the Islamic aspect of, you know, waking up for Fajr is, you know, there is that nuance of, yeah, wake up for Fajr. The best, you know, is, is prescribed in Adin and all of that. But I think what I heard as you were speaking, like, it's, it's a struggle for mm-hmm. some people and that's okay. You don't have to feel shame or guilt mm-hmm. whilst you're becoming that, not becoming that person, but yeah, basically drop shame and guilt. So my second overrated is um, companies off the back of the Black Lives Matter movement in the past few weeks that we've been seeing, um, basically using it as a point to say, oh, we want to do better. We want to ask for feedback. Let us know how we can be better. Um, And I did tweet about this, um, you know. Did you? Yeah, I, I just did a thread about how. What, today? No, 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 no. Um, I just did a thread about how I understand that it's like well-intentioned for companies want to do that, but I don't think there's enough safeguarding for people of colour within companies to be honest about their experiences in the workplace and that yeah. if, they, if companies are asking for feedback and things like that, you know, they, they should have things, practices like it should be anonymised. Um, you know, if they're like, a sizable team where you could you know it's different if you've got like one employee that's a person of color and they're talking about the microaggressions they face as a person of color and blah 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 right it's it's difficult to anonymize that but i think for a lot of the big companies um there needs to first i believe employers need to do the work before asking the employees what Trust feedback is it's lazy on. and i think it's actually really dangerous to people because at at best what will happen is these same people will be asked to then set up a diversity and inclusion network do the work help create a task force and blah 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 and basically have to do all these things that they're not that's not their job you know like they're working like supply chain management or something and they're having to do all of this hr work well you're basically outsourcing again you're basically saying oh you know what this and you're tra- you're saying this is a black issue. This is a, yeah. a, a brown issue or whatever yeah. issue. I don't have the capacity or understanding to research and do it. So yeah. so you you steer you steer the ship whilst doing yeah. your full time job. And I I think at, at also like at worst there's also repercussions on the individuals for being seen to speak out and for the specifics of what they're saying and. You know, I had a black Muslim woman email me and say, look, I, I was really like shocked with my company's sort of state public statement and internal statement about Black Lives Matter. Like for a start, as they were using language like BAME and POC and like not even explicitly saying this is an issue specifically around black people. And she she emailed me basically being like, you know, how do I handle this? And I was like, you know, so, you might also feel like you have a responsibility to speak up. And I think there is a fine line. And my, my um, disclaimer to this is like, especially if you're a non-black person of color, you do have a responsibility to make sure that you're not waiting and expecting for your black colleagues to do the work 
which actually as people of color you will benefit from yeah and i yeah my my uh, disclaimer to that was actually if you're you are a person of color that's not black in the same way that we expect white people to use privilege and speak for us and hold things to account um it's also a moment to reflect on like when have you ever put yourself marginally on the line um for other people whether that's passing opportunities whether that's passing on um feedback and things like that um and then to loop around you know if you do feel like actually your workplace has not historically shown care for um people of color and black people and you are worried about you know what what does that mean for me in my position in the in the workplace if i speak out um then i think one of the things is to ask feedback to be anonymized and not be like an open all hands sort of thing and then also to actually ask your employer like how am i going to be safeguarded so that this isn't you know effectively used to hinder my progression in in my actual role um and that's not your job to figure out how to be safeguarded that's something that, yeah that that's something they need to figure out um so i i really understand like a lot of people be compelled to just be like this is wrong and that's wrong and da, 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 and it can come from a good place but i do think we need to know that we're being safeguarded in workplaces when we are speaking out which is it's very difficult it's very difficult to even know right because your employer can say yeah 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 we, we really welcome the feedback and blah 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 um and i say this as well because like a couple of weeks ago i spoke out in like a forum that i'm part of and i was just like you know this isn't a safe space this isn't cool blah, blah. they're doing a lot of like bane pop language and i was like this isn't about bane pop this is about black life i mean i think you know even i've said use the word bane pop all of that stuff but i think with that particular space there wasn't even space to the thing is there was chatter behind the scenes yeah and um and people did not feel comfortable to call it out yeah and i and i think essentially what ended up happening is the guy threw me under the bus and yeah. for me i've got like for me that's not a and, and not, i think we should be clear that it was a white man yeah and for me like i i i can opt out of that structure and i can opt out and say oh i'm no longer going to engage in this place but mm. for people in the workplace they they can't always opt out and actually the woman who emailed me i emailed back and i said you need to think about like what will this mean for you you and your work like obviously i don't know the intricacies and it was really sad because she was like oh do you know what i think i'm gonna be moving job anyway because of all the coronavirus stuff so it's like worth taking the hit because i'll only be here for another two months and it's so sad that she even had to think of it as like a trade-off and i've had this from a couple of people of like this other black muslim woman saying oh you know what i'm only in, i've already given my leave in anyway so i've got nothing to lose so i might as well like lay it on thick and it's it's just sad that it has to be like if i speak out it's because i know i'm not going to be here anyway i can't speak out and remain in the structure mm. so that's that's it for me first overrated is in a nutshell instagram solidarity um basically just uh, passivity and inactivity and um uh doing very little work and hoping for big impact. Um, so um, obviously this is in reference to the BLM movement um, that specifically um, we you know was taking off on social media. And I think like there were a lot of conversations even between ourselves about what that kind of entailed, what we thought of it, what we thought the impact of it was. And um, my general observations coming 
like observing it from somebody who doesn't have a social media account, like a personal one on any platform, um, was that ultimately there is good in any kind of raising awareness of it. And, you know, in for full disclosure, like it provoked a lot of conversations, even in my own personal circles with people who were otherwise not engaged in, in having so many people talk about it and being a point of reference in so many areas, there is good in it. At the same time, it forms a crutch for so many people. And I think like, um, just as someone who doesn't have any kind of social media, uh, it brought some a degree of awareness to me about my own inactivity in the actual tangible sense. Um, I didn't have that to rely on because I don't have anywhere to post it. So I think what it has urged me to do is to look at how to remain active um, from a place of working at home, from a place of not having social media. And if you do have social media, it's very important to move beyond posting the black square, um, look at what you're doing in your own personal life and make sure that it's at the forefront of our minds and our causes and our workplaces and things like that. So I came across an infographic from Galdem. Um, the Instagram handle is at Galdem Zine, um, which you probably all are aware of anyway. Um, but it's just a small infographic and I'll put this in the editorial article for two cents uh, when this episode goes out. And it just talks about all the things that you can do to protest um, for the Black Lives Matter movement from home. Um, mm. And they're all tangible things. So I'm going to read off a couple things like protesting in your neighborhood, just keeping an eye out on what's going on in your locality, posting reading lists to your neighbors, which I thought was a really good one, uh, making signs to put in your window that also raises awareness. And it's in it takes place in the real world. And it, it impacts people who don't have social media. Um, reading anti-racist books, turning into, tuning into informative Zoom calls, community activities, talking about what you've learned, which is a really important thing to take away. And I think a lot of people probably did do that from posting up the black square, which is the most vital thing, and donating to bail funds. So off the back of that, um, head to amalia.com because we still have our article on eight social justice organizations and protester bailout funds to donate to. Um, we've also got a couple of other useful resources. Uh, the Brown Hijabi created like an amazing resource guide for understanding white supremacy and dis disinvesting from anti-blackness for South Asians and non-black POC. Um, that's something that, you know, should be bookmarked in your browser and you should just constantly be updating yourself with. I think she also is updating it constantly as well. And it's, and it's just an amazing resource. Um, if you want to listen to some good content, we've also got the um, small talk episode we did with Azizat Johnson back in January. It's a pain to say that just how relevant it is now because it should be relevant all the time, but it is an amazing resource. It doesn't talk about the BLM movement specifically, but it talks about and breaks down white structures and what they are and how we operate within them. Um, and she's just she was just an amazing person to talk to, amazing scholar. So head to the Amalia podcast and give that a listen. It's a small, small episode with a lot of information. And then Amalia's got like a whole host of like really amazing resources for child, from children to adults, things like books about black Muslims in history, black authors, like we've got a ton of resources. So um, off the back of what you both were saying earlier about this being the job of us as individuals, rather than leaning on anybody else, if you find yourself as a, non-black POC or a white person, 
to go and do the work yourself and not rely yeah I think it's a conversation that a lot of people are sort of having and I've seen it play out on social media as well and I think there's been lots of conversations about like the black square about condemnation statements about like you know how the different modes people have sort of gone into to show solidarity um and you know some we I was talking to someone about this yesterday as well how like two weeks ago like I was talking to an organization and they were like you know we've written our condemnation statement we're going to do a panel on anti-blackness like we're ready da, da, da. and for me like their their work the industry and the stuff that they normally do it felt very like an add-on and I, I sort of just interrogated of like you know like why now like what mm. is this and I think for some people it's a it's like a, a plaster over guilt that they're feeling and a discomfort that they're feeling of like, I haven't been aware, I haven't done anything and like now's the time to act. And I, I think again, like it's well-intentioned, yeah. but I think, you know, what would be really effective is putting literally like a calendar invite for you to have a reminder in a month, in three months of like, what have you done? You know, to, to have a constant intention of like, you know, uh, and remind yourself that you had all the seal to the point where you want to set up a panel and you want to do this stuff and like I, I think the best work that I've personally seen and obviously I'm not black um but in terms of what I what I've seen people do is when they really understand their values and their purpose as individuals as organizations as people and the work that they're doing seamlessly fits within mm. those values. Mm -hmm. um, and like to give like a really random example, like there's a website called babynames.com. And what they did is um, in the week of after George Floyd's murder, they, their homepage was um, black with all names of people that had died from police brutality and it said these people were all someone's baby and you know they were working within yeah. what their audience knows them for mm -hmm. and they were working you know it, it requires thought yeah. it requires like actually what who are our audience and and what what makes most sense to them yeah um and other people might disagree with that sort of mode of operating and still be like actually it's still superficial and it's still not enough um but i i even think like this idea of not enough is also based on what we can see and we're yeah. seeing it's not enough based on what we can see so yeah. um yeah i th i think everyone knows what their own intentions are and everyone knows whether they've done enough or and and can be honest with themselves on like you know where they're at with all of this so mm -hmm. yeah i think i think it's a conversation that will continue Um, I think that I've got underrated that seamlessly fits into this. So obviously, like I occupy and I exist in real life. I'm a real human being and I live in my home and I have my children and all of this. And then there is me existing on social media. There is me existing in friendship groups, in community circles, in the Mali community and all these different spaces and places. Um, and there's different modes of operation, right? In these in these spaces, like I'm not going to have a in-depth conversation about um, how my mental health is falling apart on a Twitter live. Do you know what I mean? It's I just, mean, you it, might. I might, but for me, it's not the place. It's not my people's. It is my people's. I don't know, but there's a mode of operation. I get what you're saying. 
yeah for everything i've i've really been observing like all the different conversations why are you laughing now i've been just observing all the different conversations and i have friends that are just not on social media i see communities that are not on social media i see um people who are heavily day in day out like ourselves like i don't have the luxury to say i'm gonna go on a social media fast for three um, months I, I, it's part of our work it's part of our work right i can i can be better in how i am with social media definitely but i, I can't definitely just come out altogether. it's part of our work the people we speak to the anyway but I've noticed a, a reoccurrent theme and this is throughout, um, throughout, like we've talked about the critiques of social media, right? It's often people sitting in glass homes, throwing stones at the people who are on social media and the people and not being on social media is not an, is not an excuse for ignorance. Mm. Not being on social media is not an excuse for not knowing what is happening in the world not being on social media is not an excuse to 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 saying i don't know social media is not the only place for news social media is not the only place where you um access what's happening in your community what's happening in your country what's happening to your peoples what's happening to other peoples like that's not an excuse oh i didn't know i wasn't on social media the prophet muhammad peace be upon him whatever obviously there was migration he he moved about he wasn't in one one place ever he sought out and he he tried to see what what that society needed yeah he he looked into society and then there was no social media right he could have just sat in his little space and been like well i don't this is new i'm not really accustomed to this place I, i'm not quite sure what's happening but when you're existing and you're living in all of these spaces it is also incumbent upon us as muslims to actually seek out you know what i've moved into this neighborhood you go for a stroll right the same way you explore a space you know all the bougie coffee shops it's not an excuse. So yeah, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he used to seek out what was wrong in his, uh, it was his civic duty, right? What was wrong in society and he would try and address it. He would try and, if there was homeless people, whatever that issue was in that specific space, village, whatever it is, he would seek it out. And I just don't think it's good enough to, you can be off social media, that's fine, but how are you not engaging in any way in your civic duty by observing, by uh, seeking information or research on what's happening in your immediate space. And I was having this conversation with someone who said, oh, but is it everyone's um, responsibility or duty to, you know, be out here being an activist campaigning? I said, sis, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying um, is if, if the, the door is broken on your communal building, you have a civic duty as a person to be like, you know what, that door affects us all in this, in these block of flats, what can I do? Do I need to holler at the council? Do I need to do, I'm not saying that you should, so part of it, I was saying that you need to seek out that information, but we also need to open our eyes to be like, what is happening? Do you know what I mean? What is happening? Like, it's not good enough to be like, I'm just sitting in my house, minding my business, tending to my flock and that's it. Um, and I'm not underestimating us doing the work within our homes, but I'm just saying, do not use it as an excuse for ignorance. It goes back to that thing of like, can you sit with yourself and be honest with yourself? Because I definitely feel like there's different camps of people who aren't on social media. There's people who aren't on social media 
and you know they do the work they're aware they're informed and blah 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 and then there's people who aren't on social media and they use it as like they're in their own bubble of like oh there's just this stuff that happens there and I'm in my bubble in my home and um I wanted to find a post that I posted like literally oh June the 18th in 2019 and I was thinking about like um I think this was after I went to Janaza and um I was thinking about my role in community um and one of the things I wrote is um if I'm not aware and informed about people's struggles does it mean that I'm not actively making enough effort? If I'm not being made aware of janazas and those going through a difficult time, am I doing enough to be a part of the community? It's so easy to say, oh, we don't have community and there's this expectation that you should be able to open your front door and the community should just be standing there waiting to help you. Maybe it's that you need to start going around knocking, making yourself part of the community or even building one if one doesn't exist. And I thought about this because I thought about this because I thought, you know, one of the rights that other Muslims have over us is for us to, you know, be there for their janazas and, you know, help with burials and things like that. And actually, like you, if if you're if you're part of a so-called community, but you're not aware of when people are passing, you're not aware of like what's actually happening in your community when people are dying when actually your community needs you there to be praying for them and things or for their loved ones or for their family. Like, I, I think it does require a level of, level of questioning on your part of how much am I trying to be a part of this community if I'm not, if I don't at the bare minimum know that someone is passing away and needs my du'as. And I, and I definitely think some of this stuff is structural in the sense that like a lot of brothers have a, a, a clear line of communication between them and them as a congregation and say the imam or the mosque we're able to casually go to people's janazas that we don't know you know just because we're informed right and i i actually think like especially like with with lockdown and stuff like if you aren't trying to be active in a community like with lockdown there wasn't even janazas or it was like just 10 people and i think it you know it does require a level of like what um but whether it's not social media, like how are you actually staying informed, not just about news and what's going on and where the famines are and things like that, but also, you know, on your doorstep, like who is struggling, who is in need? Go on, Sarah. Um, okay, so my second underrated is, um, this is like other end of the spectrum of conversation, but I want to talk about herbs. So basically, overrated. Herbs overrated. Yeah, okay, I'll tell you why. Um, I obviously, along Can with. Can I just say, all the vaginal steaming lot are going to be having their <laughs> right, man, hearing that. I don't have an issue with herbs in and of themselves. Of the conversation, I would like to just class- clarify what herbs are you. <laughs> yeah, okay, so basically, along with millions of people around the world during lockdown I decided to purchase some herbs and I popped them on my unit and I've been looking after them now I just want to say that they are very very difficult to look after okay I have about I have 10 potted herbs wow you really went all out I did yeah I did because I yes rosemary marjoram dill fennel sage um chamomile 
basil, sweet basil, uh, lavender, and what's the last one? I know what it is. Thyme. 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 It's thyme. Okay, so... No coriander in all them herbs. No, I have a coriander. Oh, I have a okay. coriander. And I've been propagating as well. Um, and, yeah, it's basically, I've got, enough, and I've got no beef with herbs. I like herbs. I'm not a cook yet. And so I'm not, I'm not picking, you know, my sweet basil up for my mozzarella and tomato canopies or anything like that just yet. Um, I think they're very, very difficult to look after. And in Agreed. that sense, they are overrated as, as household companions. However, I would like to put an underrated spin on it. They have taught me or they have given me a great sense of responsibility and routine yeah I live by myself and it's very difficult to establish some kind of routine when you're living by yourself and you're working from home and things like that um they've given me something to look after and grow and nurture and I've had to like dedicate a lot of time to like finding the right spot for them and like doing all this research. Like me parenting huh sounds like being a mum basically like yeah they're like they're her babies like they some of them have died in certain places and have you know neglect if I leave them for one day things like that you know sometimes what the books say it isn't true if you put them in indirect sunlight they don't always thrive so people who talk about lavender lie sometimes and things like that so yeah um I like the sense of responsibility and routine they've given me I get up every morning I check them I prod them I say bismillah I put my bismillah water in it I watch them thrive I've been putting sticks in it helping it grow blah 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 um but they have also caused me grief when i've seen them go yellow for no reason or like and one tip about herbs mm. they're not there for your windowsill to look pretty the reason why herbs become sad is because we treat them like a mm. ornament mm. herbs are uh givers they want to be used they want you to pick and use and i think sometimes what is with the herbs? They want you to cut a plant actually thrives yeah. when you trim it, when you take from it. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we're growing herbs, like I've talked to a couple of people in my DMs on Instagram about herbs, and someone's like, Oh, my coriander's are dying. It's like, no, you're not using it. You treat them like houseplants. Yeah. yeah, it's got a cycle. You they're mm. not it's not a houseplant, it needs to be trimmed. Rosemary thrives when you cut it. I would like to add my two cents to this. Yeah. Because I feel very strongly about this. Because I feel like succulents and herbs are masquerading as good starter guides for people who want to get who want to get into planting and plant care and gardening. Mm -hmm. Actually, they're the worst thing to start with. Yeah, and absolutely. I felt very betrayed because I felt very betrayed because I started off with succulents and they all died my succulents yeah. all died as well yeah and mm. and that made me feel like i was the problem yeah when really it's the succulents that I've got <laughs> because hey. now i have over 20 plants Mashallah. yeah alhamdulillah and not a succulent in sight yeah all of them are thriving all of them are living and actually i think we need to stop acting like the first step into plant care is succulents and herbs because Agreed. they absolutely aren't. Agreed. I think that is pretty much what I went in for the herbs. So I thought, oh, this will be a nice thing for me to. Oh, like nice little garden window, so easy yeah. care. No. no, no, it's been. My succulents, yeah. I had five succulents, 
they've all had multiple babies oh, they're currently flowering yeah but they're... you're a gardener we're all gardeners no 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 you're not a gardener if you start with succulents you are a plant killer if you start with succulents <laughs> and this is the problem they i don't know when it became common knowledge that they're the starter guide for millennial plants yeah because everyone says oh if you kill a succulent you're an absolute like and I, like I thought I'm the worst person ever. No, every time I've had a succulent, they've dried up, shriveled Correct. into nothingness. Yeah. They're, they're too... They're, people are like, oh, cactus, oh, leave them alone, no. don't do nothing. <laughs> How many offices have you been to and you've seen it shriveled up? So my next underrated is, um, again, really simple, actually. It was with regards to tweet that I put out um yesterday and actually i didn't really obviously man's just a passive person in this system um yeah it was just thinking about basically i was thinking about the workplace and how there's people who are being um bullied people who experience the microaggressions um or you are that person who's witnessing them seeing them or you're that person who's actually inflicting that harm upon somebody and it just made me realize like what am i doing in terms of my children to make them understand what their place is in in situations like that and it made me like take it down to like bully if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with juvederm volbella xc or juvederm ultra xc do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I put this tweet out basically and it said, make sure when you talk about bullying with your kids, you do it from different perspectives. So talk to them about being bullied, which I think everyone seems to do. Then talk to them about, talk to them about being a bully and then talk to them about um, what happens when you um, witness bullying. I said watching bullying and they need to grasp their roles and responsibilities in each of those positions um, and what their rights are also in, in some of those uh, kind of positions. 
inshallah may Allah protect our children but sometimes I think sometimes the perspective um that is spoken about is um you know if you're bullied this is what you do tell someone do this but actually what if you're someone who's just what your your friend is silently being bullied what do you do how do you speak out and this is how you get to a society where you've got big big adults where saying yeah i saw that my friend was experiencing this on a movie set but I didn't know what to say because we haven't been equipped. Mm-hmm. We're just constantly told, oh, this is what you do when you get bullied. This is what you do. But actually, what does it look like? Actually, if you are the bully, if you are manifesting qualities that are, like I've seen parents talk to their children about why you shouldn't bully, but really that ch- specific child needs to talk about, needs to be talked to in a different way. Like, why are they bullying? What is the effect of their language, their actions on other children? Or actually being called out on the fact that actually, you know, you've seen those YouTube videos and those um, videos on social media where you've had parents shaming their kids about their bullying. And I'm not saying shame your child, but sometimes you just need to call out your damn child and be like, you know what, you're, you're being a bully. And this is how it's manifesting in the way that you're t- constantly, you know, speaking this, that. So, yeah, it was just really a, a simple thing. And that was it. Uh, she went upstairs to get a book that was sent to me. Um, and it's called the bystander effect Mm. and i started actually reading it yesterday and i'm just going to read you um the blurb and it says um your colleague makes a sexist joke you see someone harassed for their race or religion you're told someone you know is a sexual abuser you know someone is being bullied you see a person unconscious in a crowded street would you act in the face of wrongdoing, good people often do nothing. How can a bystander learn to be brave? And the book's called The Bystander Effect. Mm. And it basically interrogates like why people don't feel compelled to do something mm. when they see something happening. I remember there was a tree that had fallen down a little bit in our road. And then one day I heard basically the, the man with the machine come, come to, he was cutting the tree. And then um, my kids were proper like, um, they, they were harassed man they were so upset like it was a beautiful blossom tree mm-hmm. and then they're like mama we have to do something you all say do something and I'm, and I'm like for flips like the council's come they're gonna cut the tree down I know I can't stop it yeah but I was like you know what okay fine let's just practice this to go through the process and the motion so we went across to the tree try, try on the other side of the road tried I mean trying to get the attention of the the man chopping the, he's got the big headphones on chopping away at this tree and then I'm like, oh, I have to be so performative, but it's for my children to learn a lesson. I was like, excuse me, why are you cutting the tree down? <laughs> and then the, and they were shouting, don't chop the tree, don't chop the tree. Yeah, they're all like being these activists on my road. And then basically what ended up happening is like, we asked if we could have a piece of a log that he had chopped off because there was still like shoots coming out of it so I was like look guys we haven't been able to stop the cutting of the tree but maybe we can save some of it and this is like a one meter log that I'm like hauling across the road trying to take back to my house to show the kids like this was our bit we didn't save the tree cutting down but did we come did Mm -hmm. did Allah witness that we tried to do something yeah so yeah just not everyday theory with your children some days are practical and some days different perspectives that's a good example for adults as well next time i mm. see something like that I'm gonna do it. right i'm gonna go really quick my underrated 
my first one is um, I have really struggled being on social media in the last few weeks. There is just so much on there and it's very overwhelming. And what I have been doing is A, getting someone to change my passwords and B, just logging out for stretches at a time. Um, and C, um, just having it on my desktop and not on my phone. And honestly, since I've been doing that, I'm like, I can't believe I used to open this up every single day and like that was a behavior and i say that because the the problem in twitter more so you don't know what you're going to come across you mm. don't know what you're going to see you don't know what you're going to be left with mm. you don't know how you're going to process that and it's actually a problem i feel to not have some sort of safeguarding of yourself um of your use with social media especially during times like now and how long have you been off now i've been off for a week and this but is before, where we announced that we'll be dropping muslim twitter for the foreseeable future I've, I've been off for a week but before that what i was doing is logging out for a couple of days or like for the last three weeks i haven't had it on my phone mm -hmm. um, <coughs> i've only had it on desktop because for me i'm normally on my laptop if i'm working so like for on weekends i wouldn't I wouldn't open up my laptop. Do you see what I mean? So I, therefore I'm not going on social media. And I just, I just think it is very, very, very unhealthy to be on it every single day. Mm -hmm. And I can't, and like I'm saying that as someone who for the last like four years of my life, I've been on it every day. I've had breaks. I've had like, you know, over December, like I was off it for like a month and a half. And so I, I have had breaks, but I just think they need to be more frequent, like mm -hmm. almost like one week every month where you're not on social mm. um and i actually think people who feel like they can't do that there's an issue and i know for some people like say like you're a journalist right and you report on stuff that is being said on social media that's different it's your it's actually your job but even then i think you can put in like um processes for yourself to not fall into a hole mm. um but yeah it's it's mad it's very mad and I think for me my straw was um in the week after George Floyd's murder I saw a tweet and for two reasons it was incredibly distasteful and I was like I can't expose myself to this without there was a what now there was a tweet that was really distasteful and firstly it was distasteful because the imagery was um for Sikh men who were dead in very like graphic ways right firstly i i shouldn't be seeing that right secondly it was accompanied with a tweet that said oh i've been there for black lives matter now it's your turn and i thought that was disgusting like this sense of like transactional allyship right and i i was i was close to like saying like what the hell is wrong with you and I was just like I actually can't do this and I just literally logged out and then even like last week I put a tweet out um that went semi-viral and I logged what out so my tweet said this is why I've got this permanent frown isn't it yeah so my tweet said I'm renaming mosques with no facilities for women private members clubs for men mm. And honestly, I tweeted it thinking, not thinking anything of it. It's had 548 retweets and 2,600 2, likes. 
and it's had like comments and blah 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 and I was and this was I think I, it I, was, admit, I don't think that was your best tweet I, I same same <laughs> um and I was and I actually was like you know and then I started seeing it like rapidly getting retweeted and like and I was like, I need to log out before misogynistic egghead Muslim male Twitter finds me and starts dragging me. And I honestly was like, I have two options. I can stay here, read the comments, feel a way about them, or I can enjoy my weekend. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was like, I don't actually care what anyone says. And if that was me like a year and a half ago, I'd be there being sarcastic at every single comment I got, you know? And I just, it was, for me, it was like, look, I've done my... I put my shit out. I'm ready to bounce, you know, and I'm so glad because then you you hold it and you're checking and da da da. So yeah, for anyone out there, it's not a cop out to log out of social media. It's not a cop out to delete your social media. I believe we all should be doing it to safeguard ourselves. It's not healthy for us to be on it every single day of our lives. It's not healthy for it to be the first thing and the last thing that we're looking at. Um, and I really, really hope this is something I carry on. I've also been like, from like 10, 15, 10 o'clock, like I don't look at my phone. I just put it somewhere else. I put it on Do Not Disturb. Um, and I'm just trying to have um, a better routine and better relationship with my phone. So my second underrated is quite short, um, but... Um, I wanted to put my underrated as knowledge production. Um, I haven't termed it in the most sexiest way, but um, I hope I'll be able to explain it. Um, I'm just going to get um, my source for this. Give me a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Um, so this actually came off the back of someone tweeted and um, said that they had completed their dissertation and it's a Muslim woman, her name's Hanifa, and um, her dissertation topic um, was the nation's most contested identity, the British Muslim women, dissecting the discursive socio-political and neo-colonial narrative of the oppressed Muslim women in the UK and exposing the reality of state oppression, right? And so this is like her dissertation for her degree. And one of the things, that she said is she said I'm proud to say that the majority of my thesis was supported by the works of Muslim female writers and um, one of the things she lent on was the book that I've written in called It's Not About the Burqa and she mm-hmm. also used my essay which is about the representation of women and capitalism and things like that um, and I it just for me was a um, I stagnate with my writing like really quickly like I write once in a blue moon um, and but it was just a reminder of me of like how important it is for us to produce knowledge produce thoughts produce ideas um because they are really really especially for in the world of academia and dissertations often um people of color told that there's not enough sources for what it is that they want to investigate right and what what it is is because there's also a lot of structures within academia that have meant a lot of our voices are erased and not there right um and so it's it's really important like i know even amalia articles have been referenced in dissertations and again it's a it's a, books yeah books um there's a book follow me aki by hussein kisvani and there's like four articles referenced there and it's really really important to be able to produce 
knowledge mm. and that doesn't have to look like academic knowledge mm. it can look like your own blogs it can look like even your instagram captions even twitter threads you know like i was even thinking about the pandemic like in 20 years time when a generation of students are asked maybe studying the pandemic you know they'll be like although the telegraph said that boris johnson said it had been a success in how the uk did the pandemic according to at um treat me like this they it, it, on june the 11th in 2020 they actually did a whole thread on how the uk government had failed this was retweeted a hundred thousand times a day you know like that mm. that's part of like knowledge production i mean that that tweet it would it, that would be st statistical evidence yeah and and i think it's eight thousand yeah and i i think aziz that um, Johnson in small talk covered a bit on uh, covered this a bit on like mm -hmm. Twitter as a, a place of knowledge and like you know academic snobbery of not seeing it as like robust and things like that but there is so much knowledge on Twitter that that could in itself be developed in, in its own right um, and I remember Rakea Harris said something a few um, months ago which stuck with me as well and she said you know if you are someone who uses Twitter if you are someone who regularly puts stuff out regularly does threads regularly gets retweeted the likelihood is you can probably write quite well because you're able to put your thoughts out in concise yeah. ways and so do try and develop that do try to develop that into articles into pieces um, into you know your own like knowledge pool because you never 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 know where that knowledge could be used like i didn't imagine that my essay would be referenced in people's dissertations and their own academic work right um and it's just it's so so important for us to um create knowledge outside of academic spheres because we're not i, I don't have like the intention to go into academia you know but that's a normal playing field on who has the mic and who can exactly and and that doesn't mean that my ideas and my thoughts are any less worthy it just means i haven't had a stamp of validation from the academic field um, i was reading so a paper actually on um the importance of social media within the blm uh, movement and mm. this was written a while ago it wasn't in relation to now but it was just basically um assessing it and what that was one of the things that came up that it was um yeah that everyone can come and have an opinion basically but yeah. then there and yeah so if you are listening and you're someone who you know you've been putting on the back burner some ideas or some thoughts like just even start writing for yourself to document for yourself and like you know i will plug contribute at amalia.com if you feel like you want to write on something and um i will also give the disclaimer like i know the dissertation i mentioned was about you know the political identity of muslim women and i know my essay is on like representation and things like that but you know you it doesn't your your writing doesn't have to be of that type your writing could be about why you love plants your writing could be about um you never know in 10 years time someone might write about how um plant 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 care and gardening were brought relief to thousands in the pandemic right mm -hmm. and they use your work as like a, a part of that um so yeah just just it's really important that we keep writing we keep putting stories out of everything and anything you know don't just feel like it has to be stuff that is in relation to world news and politics like everything and anything matters and just because you are writing and documenting it that 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 matters uh yeah so um back off the back of what you were saying about being a morning person um mm. and i think i'm just gonna 
phrase it as being under the banner of um, social and political conversations coming into the to the workplace. And I think it the reason that it kind of links to your morning person um, qualm is that you have like a code and an etiquette for work and the workplace. And um, especially here, I'm not going to say the West, but here in the UK, there's a very like stiff upper lip about mm. um, a lot of the things that essentially like make us human. And there is um, this notion that it doesn't go through the door at work and I'm I'm somebody who prides myself on at least striving to act as professionally in a professional setting as much as possible but mm. I have also like become increasingly aware just navigating through life as someone in their mid-20s and like navigating all sorts of problems that it's just not as easy to leave that outside and when you um, say that do you mean like the socio yeah i'm 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 talking about like everything on the spectrum of being a just a person and not a cognitive machine so like a lot of especially a lot of startups will pride themselves on not having this kind of cognitive machine setup mm -hmm. or like um a company mentality or anything but actually there is still very rigid structures and very rigid etiquettes that don't really allow for people to um and there's so many ways that this happens. And I think one of the, 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 the most detrimental as we've seen is, is probably like leaving our social and political conversations um, at home and having to pretend, um, you know, having to keep ourselves very tight and, and just not even having any kind of outlet really. And I think mm. you know, that's the kind of thing that's been conducive to um, suppressing the wants, needs and um, rights of most importantly rights of black people especially especially in a professional setting you know like we hear like through the grapevine and like in our personal circles of like my my personally like my black friends crying in between meetings and things like that because mm. there is just no space i totally um get that what you're saying and i i there was two things that came to mind um which sit at like different spaces where well actually they sit quite similar but different contexts so like one of my friends when her dad died she was like as as a worker i my bereavement must fit within five days you know and she was like how can grief just sit within five days um and i also wanted to just read from this article which um is called maintaining professionalism in the age of black death is a lot it's written by a black person and they basically say um, I don't know who decided that being professional was loosely defined as being divorced of total humanity, mm. but whoever did, they've aided unintentionally maybe a unique form of suffocation. And I think it, it's that thing of like crying in the toilets and the two meetings and not being your full self and questioning what you wear and how you're going to do your hair and all those sorts of things. Um, and this like idea of professionalism is being devoid of emotion and humanity. My second underrated is oath saying. Um, so we actually talked about this in a previous podcast. I think it's a work from home podcast, but it didn't end up in the final edit because I just wanted to go in and do some extra, extra research. Um, but yeah, what I basically have done and I told Nafisa and Selina we were discussing this is that um, I have 
really struggled with some bad habits over the course of my life I'm just gonna say like they're that bad like I have had I have lent on some like really um I mean they're bad habits just I suppose like generally but I think for me they have inhibited so many other like um things in my life pathways pathways yeah so they've been ultimately very very destructive to me whereas they wouldn't be to other people they might be very menial bad habits to others um and so I decided to take a very severe course of action and um I have basically the found something that works for me and I wanted to share it with other people um it is this in essence is if you can't keep promises to yourself um about curbing certain habits or 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 even trying to implement a new change it just doesn't work you've tried everything and it just doesn't work then taking an oath by Allah has really worked for me um for me it just made sense on a spiritual level because it's something that like you know I obviously I revere my rub and um making a promise to him is is a final a finality of things um Mm. you can't there's no getting out there's no getting out you can't break your oath it's like you're you're well if you do like the reality of why you have you can't yeah definitely there are there are ficky kind of like repercussions to breaking an oath and i'll go into that in a second but um they it is basically in essence for me there is no one more honorable i would want to make a promise to than to allah especially if i can't make one to myself to to implement it so other people might think this is quite an extreme thing to do and i totally get that um but i think i'm coming from a place of having tried so many other ways of trying to implement new changes and you know if i really really want to do them this is the path that i've chosen and it's really worked for me like i managed to keep some oaths throughout all of ramadan that have ultimately benefited me I've decided to carry them on I've changed them sometimes I add like little clauses and things like that um and like a good example is one that I have struggled with my whole life and that is like eating like quite bad foods and when I say bad foods I just mean they are bad in a substantial quantity which is what I was eating them in so things like junk foods like packaged goods blah 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 um yeah and I know a lot of people struggle with that and it might be like a very trivial thing to some but it ultimately has a detrimental effect on my health Sarah, I, I love how you referred to them as packaged goods <laughs> um yeah because ultimately whole foods and organic wrappings and all of that is the way to go and inshallah get there uh, so basically just in case anybody is worried about taking like a lackadaisical r- approach or my taking a lackadaisical approach to oath taking i assure you i'm not and i have researched this um it is entirely permissible i think it's a given that once you make an oath by allah you are not allowed to break it but you can be as specific as you would like and um i found a research paper by shitul balugan abdelaziz from the university of abuja and he's written a whole like um essay on it and um, he goes into detail about what kind of repercussions you have for breaking they're not good they're not good and um also don't don't do it without your research because don't do it without knowing what what happens like why you shouldn't break your oath and i'll I'll put this um you go go straight to jahannam no but i mean obviously there is like a there is a dunya kind of like uh reparations you have to do the kafira the what is it a kafira you have to give 
Yeah, you do. And you have to fast three days. to do that. Um, What's the carbon like, Don't you have to prep, fast like consistently? You have, no, you have for to how long? That's, no, that's, that's for Ramadan. That's, for, ra- that's for, for Ramadan if you intentionally don't fast. You have to fast for three days consecutively and you have to pay a kafala, which is like 300, 300, I think UK today equivalent is like 300 something pounds um, to feed uh, a, a poor person. Um, yeah, there's like, there's loads. And um but you and can obviously the spiritual you... ramifications yeah the spiritual ramifications it's like the worst thing ever your self-esteem would literally be on the floor making a promise to god and not coming through that's the truth um and he used the example of making an oath that you will not eat fruit for three days so you can be as specific as you want um so yeah for anybody out there who's really really struggling who finds that this is something that will help this is what i'm doing it's working for me i haven't eaten junk food in two months i haven't even felt it I feel like there's a bit of buttercut in it maybe um, that other spinnaker has given me because it's a real concerted effort. So yeah, um, that is my underrated. So sorry, just going to carry on like this. With yeah, that. until I knock every single thing that I've ever wanted to implement off my list. One of my overrated is um, not calling out things, uh, calling things out basically when they happen obviously the current conversation has been around calling out racism calling out microaggressions calling out all of this stuff um and the reason why it's overrated the reason why i've placed it in overrated is i'm not saying that we shouldn't do it what i'm saying is if you are the person who is being um oppressed or you are the person where this oppressor is is doing the act to you in whatever way it's actually very difficult like we talked about the workplace it's very difficult at that time to call it out you don't even deep it sometimes you know sometimes you've been in that situation you've walked away and it's only in like three days you've been able to process it and be like wow that was really off key what that person did and then you're like, oh, well, it's too late for me to call it out now. It's happened. I saw you're making noise. I should have called it out when it happened. But the th- and then we never go back to it. And then that just, it becomes like something very deep within us. And I think two things on that front. It's okay to call it out later. It's okay to be delayed in your calling out, even if it's a month later. Even if it's a week later, it's okay to go back and be like, you know what? You know what you did to me in the workplace? Uh, whatever it is, it's fine to call it out because you may be experiencing a trauma. You may be actually, you may not have deeped it. Sometimes it does take you talking to other people about it. Um, sometimes it's often been around like sexual behavior. Like someone said, oh, you know, I just feel like, or women are made to feel like um, it's not that much of a big deal. Like workplace harassment, like, oh, it's nothing. I remember like when um, many, many moons ago, every time I used to leave for lunchtime, this guy used to stop me in the corridors like literally just put his arms out and physically stop me from crossing to like go get my lunch go into go go and whatever talk to my colleagues go to the other building and um in their effort to talk to me and every single time i'd be like i need need to pass i need to move there was another door i'd have to go around the other door and lunchtime became this like this i was always anxious like oh god yeah it was obstacle course and then I had people obviously witnessing it. And I, I kind of like was like, oh, it's nothing. He's just, what is he doing? It's harmless. He's just trying to talk to me. And I, I didn't really regard it as anything like deep, so to speak. You can easily tell yourself it's nothing because yeah. it's presented in that way. I was speaking to um, 
two colleagues of mine, both black women um, from another job. And we were like, wow, it was actually wild. Some of the stuff that happened in the workplace that we didn't have the language for. And like one of my colleagues, she was like, I feel very uncomfortable even talking about it now Mm -hmm. because she was like, I feel like I was groomed in some of these situations by older colleagues and people who had a fetish for black and brown women. Um, And, you know, we were all young. We were all young. We, We didn't have the language and framework that we have now to at least call it for what it is between us. Mm. let alone outside and escalating and things like that and I was just like wow like it you you know like some and and I know a lot I've had this conversation with a lot of women who are like it was years later I realized what was happening it was even like some of my friends like you know when we're like 17 18 cool yeah yeah, and we're like uh like that you were being groomed and this was you know and you're like like especially some of my friends who worked in retail Mm. like you know their managers and the stuff that was happening like it that's not behavior that is meant to be happening in the workplace you know but no one had the language no one actually understood you know and it's that whole thing of like often what those things escalate to you associate that level of escalation in that situation and happening by a very bad person you know mm-hmm. and the thing is in in workplaces often people aren't presenting as bad people you know and you we do the most to cover things as women like we do the most to like explain it when da, da, da. but I do hope that now more people have the language at least to be able to articulate it to themselves if not escalate beyond that um my other one I'm gonna apologize, yeah. I'm really sorry because there's people who I love that have done this. Um, and I totally understand it was a bit of fun, it allowed us to be a bit creative. Um, I know when you visualize things they happen, but it really got me thinking about what are the glass ceilings that we want to shatter? How were they con- constructed? Who constructed these glass ceilings? Who constructed these dreams and these um success stories? that we're meant to pursue and I'm referencing the Vogue challenge um and I wasn't going to speak about it like I said there's a lot of people that I love that have uh, that participated in it and I love their pictures I even like them on social media because I appreciated the creativity it was um I saw um uh a couple of people my friend Alex he said why don't we do that (laughs) yeah the guap challenge and then you had um Sorry, my brain has gone empty. Essence magazine, someone did like a, a um, an Essence magazine challenge. Um, she did her own challenge for that. And she was like, we have black owned businesses. We have black magazines, but we're not, why aren't we, why isn't this a challenge? And it was just, it really just got me thinking. And I'm not, I'm not atting everyone. I get why people partook in it. Yeah, I get in it. And I also understand why a lot of my friends didn't get involved in it. And the thing is, it just started getting me to question, like, this word success, like, it's colonised. Even the roots to success are colonised. And obviously, it's not easy to be like, yeah, right, I'm not, I'm going to just come out of the system and not try and pursue success. Obviously, still pursue success with a son, right, with excellence. 
but I, I think um, maybe a question like what is success um, and who defines it and who's who are you really showing who who's watching your success who's so basically yeah I'm just having like a big ass um, conversation about myself obviously I'm raising two young children um, and trying to explain to them like you know how to be the best in this world um, I think um, what's really important is like, obviously I always say don't believe the hype and it's, it's not about the fact that you can't be on the front cover of Vogue, but it's the, it's, it's about, for me personally, it, I've always said with PR, with awards, like hype it, but don't let it hype you because like for me personally, I recognize the value of how to navigate a structure with those awards and with that recognition. Right. And like you said, like, a lot of way we have got to has been because of you know if you're able to walk into a room and say we produce an award-winning podcast that has an effect you know if i'm able to walk into a room and say i'm forbes 30 under 30 i recognize that the structures that i am playing within Mm. there is a weight held to those things and it's i think it's that um a balance of having an awareness of what these Mm. things do within these structures but not letting those things gas you and not letting those things be the means the ends and everything of what success is personally right and, and I think, yeah go on now. yeah that's it and i think this is the thing like when we're visualizing success like i you know visualize manifest all of that i totally understand like it wasn't necessarily even about being on the front of the uh, vogue it was just like uh, it signifies a symbol of success right uh, and mm. that you've got to a certain place in 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 the world etc but like some of the tweets that I'm, I'm going to read out like one was Vogue re- this is by the wig bender um Vogue really took all these Vogue challenge pictures and posted them on their website and didn't pay any of the people fe- featured a cent now didn't we tell you all that this would happen um and this is this is the thing I, I think for some of the dialogue I've seen is the underlying thing of yet again is black and brown people doing mm-hmm. the work for free, giving companies who really don't need it or should be paying for it. Listen, Anna free. Winter has been at Vogue for decades, mm-hmm. yeah, decades. There's a Guardian article that basically says if she really want to change, she had decades, yeah, yeah, to really make some change. Decades. Did I say decades? And everyone was like, the statement that was released as well, there's no tangible action there. Um, I had a conversation with some of, like, a group I'm part of on WhatsApp, like, hey, guys, what are we thinking of the Vogue Challenge? And, you know, in the group, some of the conversations we were having was like, oh, you know, part of us feels like, oh, let people just have fun, man. Let people just, like, be creative and do whatever they want, you know? Like, not everything has to have critical analysis. But at the same time, I, I think there needs there does need to be a level of awareness of like, what is this? What does it represent? What is happening in this moment right now? And mm-hmm. I, I, even if you, if you, even if you are engaging with it, you know, I'm sure there's stuff on my Instagram and stuff that I do that some, someone else is looking at like, Oh, I didn't expect yeah, 100%. that. You know what I mean? And it's not about saying like, you have to be a little granny in the corner and not do anything. Listen, but, I saw some Vogue challenges that bang, like Rihanna yeah, Vogue, of course, like, like, like one with her afro. Like, and that's thing, I, can, I, can, I can appreciate the work for what it is. Yeah. Ap- that's what I said. It's creative. I can appreciate, but I do think we do need to have conversations with ourselves at least. Um, 
and I am going to plug my own essay in It's Not About the Borka where I talk about being on magazine covers and representation and, and who it's meaningful for. Dash, dash, dash. Okay, thank you everybody for this week's episode. Thank you to our listeners. Um, catch us over on the Amalia podcast and our two cents playlist. Um, like, share, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one.